If you do not have one of these sheets where the scripture is printed, raise your hand. Somebody's going to give you theirs. Just a little secret you'll learn as we travel through life together. Okay, let's all read. He came to the sheepfolds on the way. There was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the inner recesses of the cave. The men of David said to him, Behold, this is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I'm about to give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and cut off the edge of Saul's robe secretly. It came about afterwards that David's conscience bothered him because he had cut off the edge of Saul's robe. So he said to his men, Far be it from me because of the Lord that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to stretch out my hand against him since he is the Lord's anointed. David persuaded his men with these words and did not allow them to rise up against Saul. And Saul arose and left the cave and went on his way. You please be seated and turn in your Bible to 1 Samuel chapter 24. I still remember my sons were young, spring evenings, McAllister Park with other parents. We were on bleachers watching a baseball game. A boy in the box, bat raised, ready. A pitch would come. It would be too high, too low, or away from the plate. And if my son didn't swing, or any child actually, the coach would yell, good eye, good eye. Reminded me then and even now of the words of Jesus. And you'll see that in your listening sheet. It says, if you're, the eye is the light of the body, if your eye is good, your body will be filled with light. Look this way. What that means is, is the way you look at life has everything to do with the way you're going to experience it. What you see in life, what you look for, how you make your decisions, the, the categories that you're searching out as you are charting your own course has everything the way life's going to turn out for you. If your eye is good, you'll see your way forward. If you have a bad eye, you're always going to be confused and in the dark, no matter how hard you try. Now, maybe you'll go home today and read Matthew 6, which is the context of that statement from our Lord. If you're hungry, you probably will. Uh, that's the way revival works. When God really begins to work in people's hearts, you cannot contain him to an hour on Sunday. You can't. You're hungry. You, you want to know. You, somehow it bleeds over into all things. You just want to know what the Lord says. Well, if you do, if you go home and read Matthew 6, you'll learn that what Jesus was really talking about that day was money. He will say, you can't love God and money. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. And actually, Jesus doesn't even really use the word good. Uh, he doesn't call it a good eye. The Greek word is haplous, and it means not braided. It's not two things that you've braided into one. It's unwoven is what the word really meant. So it's very close to our idea of single or focused. If you only have one thing you're looking for, and if that thing is God, then all of a sudden, wisdom floods into your life. 
if you try to do what the world is telling you to do, to balance all things, there's God, and there's your family, there's your job, there's your health, there's your appearance, there's your retirement. If you try to balance all those in these kind of woven life, it never makes sense. The only way that life ever really begins to make sense is when there's only one thing you're looking for and then light just floods into your inner being. Now, before you say that that's unreasonable or impossible for a human to live that way, let me just remind you that's exactly what Proverbs 3 was always saying. You trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, which is actually the Hebrew word for yada, to know. In all your ways, it was an intimate word, know God. Know God in your pain, know God in your pleasure, know God in your responsibilities, know God in your schooling, know God in your family. No matter what the circumstance of your life is, you are still searching for the same thing. You're finding God. He is your navigational way. That's the way you navigate life, is to find Him. Um, you will not see life when this happens to you. And by the way, this is ancient wisdom. Uh, when you finally decide to live this way, uh, you will not see life as a tangled web of competing priorities. You st- instead, you see this great God who gave you life, who sustains your life, who will, is the place of your eternal life, He is your one goal. He's your navigational tool. He is your concern in your only category. Now, the Old Testament says the same thing. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. In a time when everybody else was so discouraged and just broken, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? This king's been with us for 52 years. He said, in the year that King Uzziah died, what I saw was the Lord. And high and lifted up, and I begin to have hope again. Now, that's what the Bible would call good eye. Good eye. You have learned now to see what you're supposed to see and navigate life through that. 1 Samuel 20, then, is that same principle, that same truth told through the life of David. He's a young man at this point, but he has learned this secret. Look for God. Look only for God. Look always for God. Navigate life through God. So we'll just walk through this again. I'll give you some ways to think about this story. David saw God in government or in politics. And because he did, he could choose restraint and respect. One day, he and his men are hiding in a cave. They've been running for months from the vicious uh, attacks of Saul. And by the way, make no mistake, if Saul catches him, he's going to murder him on the spot and all of his men. It was going to be a bloodbath. And so they've been running for months into a cave. They hide. And then some hours later into that same cave without knowing that David is there, Saul, Saul comes. He's alone. There are no soldiers with him to protect him. And 99% of the people in that cave believe that this is a miracle from God. It's just too much of a coincidence. It's too much. This must be God. What are, the, what are the odds, they say to David, they're whispering, so as to not be heard? This is God. He's given you your enemy. It's an opportunity to kill this man and be done with this unfair chapter. Watch me now. Watch me. David, this young 
brilliant leader sees deeper and better than that. He saw God, invisible God, in government. Like Romans 13, by the way, if you want to go home and read that too, that's Paul's vision that God is himself in, in government. That God, in his wisdom, gave the human race a, a linking system of authorities that are above us. That it is part of his will for the human race that we live rightly with those, within those authorities. Parents, pastors, kings, employers, uh, those are all part of God's given plan. And you can resist, and we often do, but there's no wisdom in it. Uh, children, let me say it again. You can resist, and we often do, but there's no wisdom in it. It will not serve you. The modern age, at every chance, will tell you a different narrative. It will tell you that you should, I should resist any and every limitation of my personal choice and will. That's the narrative of the modern world. Listen only to yourself. Listen only to your own desires. Listen only to what you want. That's the way to find life. I am to be me at all costs. That's the narrative. And by the way, can I get an amen? It is everywhere in this culture. I mean, if we're unanimous about anything, we're unanimous about that. The ancient, unchanged wisdom is very different. Hear me, friends. God has set in place systems that intentionally limit my will. Teach me impulse control, submission, because each of those in a small way prepares me for a relationship with him who is obviously my authority. He gives this these minor authorities because they are training sessions for a, a right relationship with this God who reigns above all. Even when the authority is unfair, in reverence for Christ, David reacts to the injustice with restraint and respect, preserving as much of the seed of that office as he can. He preserves that office because Saul is the anointed king. Watch this, everybody. David believed his concept of God was that God set authorities over our life and part of our love for God is an expression to live well within those authorities. Um, Saul's hand of anger might be against David, but David's hand was never going to be about Saul. So, why does he make such a different decision? Because he sees a different God. He sees the true character of God, and so it, it makes him make a decision. And everybody thinks he's nuts. Everybody says, are you kidding me? But no, he perceives accurately the, the purposes and character of this God. And so he says, I'm not going to do that. Two, David saw God in suffering. And so he chose patience in suffering. Go read the Psalms. Just as a reminder of how painful this chapter was. Oh, David is anointed as a young man. And then he is immediately embroiled in danger and threats and rumors. They rumor all over Israel. This, he is after the king's life. He's a traitor. His reputation and his life are threatened. And David in the Psalms will say again and again, Why? 
Why are you doing this to me? But watch me. At every psalm, every one of them, he works his way backwards through that honest expression of pain to finally resolve, I will walk with this God until he brings a relief to the suffering. I will be true. I don't know why there's suffering in my life, and I don't know why life is so unfair, but I do know one thing. You are worthy of me being patient with you, and I will walk my way through this. So is that the decision everybody makes? No, hardly ever. But here is this remarkably spiritual young man who figures this thing out. That God is worthy. I don't care if everybody else doesn't do it, if nobody else does it with you. He is worthy of me saying, I will trust you, and I will bear up under this cross, and and I will carry it. At the end of his life, he has resolved, this God is worthy. I will do so with cooperation and with courage. Now, by the way, later in the New Testament, Paul will say the same thing. He says, I have learned, I've learned how to be content in all situations, much or little. And here's the secret. I find Christ. I can do all things, how? Through Christ who strengthens me. So he says, you you begin to ignore the highs and the lows, the uh, imposters that both of those are. When you're a success, you're not a success. And when you're a failure, you're not a failure. The, The constant in all of that, everybody, is the Savior. You find him, and you walk through whatever it is, and you will find grace for living. So there's patience. Third, David saw God in providence or his ability to provide, and so he chose mercy. You may win the rat race, but you're still a rat. You can go ahead and get down and dirty with life if you want to, but with every compromise, your soul will just get sicker and sicker. It's Tar Baby in the old Br'er Rabbit story. Every time you hit him, you get more stuck than you were. So David, and by the way, he does not have a long time to do this. He does not have four and a half hours to make this decision. But he has walked long enough with this very real God to begin to make some of these decisions And so he says, um, I'm not doing that. God will provide. What Saul does or doesn't do is not my issue. God's going to take care of my needs. Um, He even felt guilty for embarrassing him, cutting off the edge of his robe. Uh, For David, even passive-aggressive stuff is too much. Christians, by the way, we're good about having no overt anger, but we are experts at passive-aggressive behavior. We, we can say hello, and it means go jump off a cliff. Anyway, we, we have perfected that. But David says, I, no, I'm not even doing that. This is God's anointed. God will provide for me. And so I'm, I'm content with letting God work that out. Say this with me. God will provide. God is good. Say it again and enjoy it this time. God will provide. God is good. That's the essence of what Jesus taught us about our Father, which art in heaven. You have dear kindness toward me. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, 
you live there long enough and you stop striking out against people. You don't need retaliation because they're not your issue anyway. Your provision comes from God. This is where, by the way, we build a church that will last a thousand years. This is where you begin to live on earth for heaven on a foundation that will never shift. Could David have killed Saul? Yes. And no one would have blamed him, but the, all of Israel would have had confirmed the, the lies that Saul spread about him, that he's a traitor, he was after me all along. It would have eroded the very foundation that this young man needed for, the, for when he himself would be king. No, he said. I will move forward with my eyes on God. I will trust his mercy and his provision. And I will not get down and dirty with this world, even though that's what they give to me. If you want the opposite case study, go look at Saul. Um, can I just say the obvious, everybody? Your resentment is not going to kill your enemy. It's going to kill you. Your resentment is not going to kill them. It's going to kill you. And you've let within your own heart a hatred that will is a cancer and eat away your life. I know, I know, it's not fair. He hit you first. But if your eyes are on God, you'll begin to focus that that is the new way he's taught you to live. Come with me, he will say. Come with me. I'll show you a path of life. I'm asking something from you this morning. I really am. Not me, but God. This ancient wisdom has been around a long time, but there's not many people who choose to live it. The gate's narrow and few walk it. Will you? Will you? Will you hear that God has offered you a path of life? It is brilliant. It is brilliant. It will work. He will straighten out your life. But it won't keep you from pain and it won't protect you from injustice. It'll, you just have to steer straight through it. Will you take that life? Most of the decisions that have changed the world have been unpopular at the start. They've been opposed by bystanders as foolish and illogical. Let me just give you some examples. Abraham leaving Ur. Paul going back to Jerusalem. Jesus going to the cross. Ruth going back to Israel with Naomi. All of those and hundreds of others were opposed by the large crowd. That's not smart. But they would give this testimony. I believe God gave me that path. Aaron preached this morning, so I'm going to sing. No, I'm really not. So, <laughs> He leadeth me, O blessed thought. O words with heaven's comfort fraught or filled. Where'er I go, where'er I be, still by his hand he leadeth me. A new pastor comes to your church. And you don't reference what you want or what you like. You reference, God, what are you doing in my life? What would you have me do? Somebody hurts you at work. You don't reference your anger or your desire to get even. You say, God, where are you? What are you teaching me through this pain and through this situation? I will find you and the reward will come from him. Some will say, well, that's a foolish way to live. It's pathetically weak. But not God. And not the gathered crowd of witnesses that are watching you this morning. 
whispering to you, keep coming, keep coming. When they see you doing that, when they see you in all circumstances, hurtful and happy, looking for God and choosing your path based on it, you're going to hear them whisper, good eye, good eye. Let's pray together. Come and help us learn this lesson. Come and help people all over this congregation and all over the world as they watched and heard these words to make that life-giving choice from this day forward. I'm going to look for you. I'm going to find you, and as I do, I'm going to let it dictate the way I live. Come help us, Lord.